0: Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm bringing you my interview with Lily Collins, who I've known since pretty much the very start of her career, from when she covered the 2008 election as a host on the Nickelodeon series Kids Pick the President, to her breakout performance in The Blind Side, in which she played Sandra Bullock's daughter, to Rules Don't Apply, for which she was nominated for a Golden Globe. And this year has shown us two completely different sides of her as an actress. First, we see her as her effervescent, luminous best in the breakout hit emily in paris and now we see her in david fincher's mank in which she's a total revelation as rita alexander secretary to the legendary screenwriter herman mankowitz aka mank as he writes citizen kane this is mrs alexander she types 100 perfect words a minute and takes dictation like a clairvoyant rita alexander herman mankowitz
1: how do you do mr mankowitz
0: that's a big question well, oh, since you like working nights, Rita here runs on London time. Her husband is one of our bold lads in the RAF, flies... What is it, Rita? Spitfires?
1: Hurricanes. My sympathy and prayers. And I beg your pardon? Given the speed, climb, and turning radius of the Messerschmitt BF109... I hope we won't need your sympathy, Mr. Mankowitz. We'll do the praying and the fighting.
0: We talk about all of it, so enjoy. Here is Lily Collins. First of all, I'm so happy to see you. and So good to see you, too, as always. I know. In whatever capacity that is. Right. And I was just thinking back about first meeting you when you were 15, I believe, and working for Nickelodeon.
1: Yep. And I walked into your office. I remember exactly how your office looked. I remember there was like a photo on your desk. God, that's so long ago. Oh, I was a journalist. Yeah, I was a journalist and I was coming to you and you were an editor and I was asking for a job. (laughs) I just think it's so great because I think of like, let's jump to 2020
0: right now. And you have a hit show, a monster hit show. Uh, (laughs) You're in a David Fincher film, Mank, also beyond holding your own with with Gary Oldman, but we will get to that. You are brilliant in this film. You got engaged. So 2020 seems like it's pretty good for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those weird, it's, it's really strange because yeah, if you, if I look back at 2020, there's just been so much negativity and so much darkness and, and at the same time, for me personally, I think it's been the biggest year of self-reflection, self-growth, introspection, and it's led to so much light. And it's really, it feels weird sometimes because I know that there's there have been a lot of people that have suffered this year. Uh, and and the words a lot don't even cover it. So it feels weird to then be celebrating things for me Um emotionally it feels weird sometimes, but it really, it really has been, um, a, a year of, of things to be grateful for, you know? Um, and a lot of things I've worked for years to kind of get to, um, most importantly, finding a person I want to spend the rest of my life with, you know? And it's like, God, I, I, that, that I did not see coming when I, when I met him, And then when I did meet him, um, it's like one of those cheesy moments when you go, I just knew, I just knew, Um, didn't know that we'd get engaged when we did, but I I knew that it was going to happen one day. And, and then to have it fall at the same time as these two incredible experiences in my career, Uh, it's been interesting to share them at a time when everything's changed in terms of the promotion aspect of it and, and having something come out in a world where we're all inside, you know, it's, it's the, the press tours and the, and the, and the sharing of it with people has been from home. And it's a, it's something that I'm very grateful to still be able to do, you know, to be able to share it. And, and thank goodness that Netflix is able to have both of these come out so close together um and it's normalized it for me because i get to be with my fiance and do interviews and then walk redford our dog and then take the trash out you know so it's like it's so interesting to have um all of this happen at a time when i also get to enjoy being engaged so i'm super grateful and <laughs> it's been fun it's been a fun ride
0: yeah i wonder we we've all acclimated and i'm so curious because it does feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel here. And I, and I wonder what are we going to want to do after? Are we going to go to the premieres and the junkets and planes as much? Are we going to be like, well, I don't know. It'll be curious to see what we have the appetite for. Right.
1: Yeah. I think about that too. It's, it's very, there's a lot of it that I miss, you know, I'm a very, as you know, I'm a very social person and, those film festivals, you know, that I think that's one of the last times I saw you in person was was doing interviews at Sundance. And I love seeing people that I don't get to see at other times of the year. And I love my team. And I like traveling and I experiencing different places and being with my castmates and celebrating, you know, celebrating creativity in that way. But there are things that I think will forever be changed in the way that we had to do them because they were just the way in which we had to do them. And now if I can do, I don't know, five meetings in the span of two hours, maybe, and I don't have to take into consideration driving and valeting and doing all that, you know, there's a lot of productivity that can happen from that um, and proactivity, but... I I don't know. I think there's a lot of creativity in in things that are in person, Mm. but it has shifted. It definitely has shifted. And I think I'm prioritizing things differently now. You know, I think it's like the, the funniest moment of that is like, and this is so menial, but if you were going to do like a talk show or something and you're like, Oh, I, I didn't get to f- fix my nails and I didn't, I don't look perfect. And then I didn't organize this before I left. And now you're like, well, it's on zoom. It's like, it's really not the end of the world and, and it's real life. And if you had to do something else, that's far more important then great. It's like your mind, your mindset shifts. Also the older you get and you're like, Oh, those things just aren't important. And I just was zeroed in and focused on them, but they have no- nothing to do with the work that I'm doing. Yeah. So it's been an interesting time of that, too.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's talk about the work that you've been doing. So I want to start with Mank. And as I said earlier, David Fincher, Gary Oldman, you play a real-life character. Obviously, the movie's based. It's biographical um, with some liberties, obviously. But you play Rita Alexander, and you are... secretary basically you're you're taking notes you're helping him finish this script and i have so many questions because one of the most interesting things about your character and gary's character as mank is he's in a bed most of the time and your performance is so still at the same time it's so active and i love that i loved watching you in this and i was like oh my god kind of blown away uh, by what you were able to do in this movie. So I want to talk to you about when you first got that script, when it came to you, like what, what were your f- initial thoughts? Tell me about that experience when it, you know, from from the beginning to then meeting David.
1: Um, well, thank you. I, I very much appreciate that. And like I always say, coming from you, who I've known for so long and greatly admire, I, I, It always means the world. Um, I got the script, I think it was about a week and a half before I went to Paris to film Emily in Paris, and it was a very intense audition process. Um, I had to put myself on tape, but I only had like three days to do it before I left, and I sent it in the day before I left and thought, there's just no way this is going to go anywhere because I'm not going to be in town, Um, and it's David Fincher, so there's just no way um why how would i get to work with david so i went to paris found out there that he responded positively to the tape and wanted to zoom with me at which point i did not know what zoom was because it was not (laughs) a household name yet so i finished a whole day of emily and um and then zoomed with david from paris and the beginning of it was was david talking for about 20 minutes uh about his connection to the script and how his dad had written it and the era of hollywood in which it takes place the idea that it would all be in black and white that i was this british character coming in to serve as a moral compass to the movie as well as this stenographer as well as a confidant and a secretary and you know she was this woman who was hired for a position but at the same time served so many different purposes for for mankowitz's character and that all my scenes would be with gary and Um, you know, just, did I have any questions? And I, I was just kind of sitting there pinching myself thinking, this is the most bizarre way to be talking to David about this project, but I'm just going to play around and do what it is that I love to do, which is prepare something and then go from there. Um, of course my Wi-Fi was acting up and, and the zoom didn't work properly. Uh, so I did, I did my, my side, my takes. Um, and then David would give me notes, to which point I never heard a single note because the Zoom stopped working. And I just, all I kept hearing was him say, okay, now now go, now try it. So I had no idea what his notes were. And I just had to keep kind of <laughs> trying whatever it was that I thought that he wanted. Um, <laughs> and I remember getting off that and thinking, there's no way I got it. But what an amazing experience. Um, I'd met him and his uh, wife, Sion at a dinner party about... Eight years, I think, ago, and um, I just never would have seen that dinner party to them zooming with him to ever, of course, then getting the role. But, but I, I just thought, if anything, what a killer experience to, to be able to work with Gary would be in, incredible. And this role is something that that is a small part of an incredible ensemble that is that is there to support Gary, who is just for me, what, he he is, he's one of the best. He—he's And he's just such an incredible human being. And and so I, I just thought this would be amazing, but I never thought it would go anywhere. Had to two weeks later, I found out that I got it and had to then fly back to LA twice for 24 hours each during Emily, which uh, I'd never had a day off on that set because I'm in every scene. So that had to be figured out for weekends. And I was in the air longer than I was on the ground. And I had to treat myself kind of like a robot. But little did I know that in a matter of eight months, we'd be in a quarantine phase where you couldn't travel at all. So I'm so happy, needless to say, that I that I did both at the same time. But I I love stillness. I love being given parameters in which I can then play. And that can be said for the type of director. If someone knows exactly what they want and they can give me Boundaries and say this is this is the shot. This is what I'm looking for. But then you can run wild and and insert different ideas here or there. Um, I like that because I feel safe, I feel secure, I feel nurtured, but I also feel trusted to 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 play and collaborate and try. And David allows you that as a as an actor. He gives you such a safe place because you instinctively you you just trust David because he's a genius. I've admired his work ever since I can remember watching movies and he has such a distinct vision and point of view and, and a way in which he articulates that to every actor so that they understand and not even just actors, but everyone behind the camera. So when you walk on his set, you've done the work with him beforehand and you know, you know that at the end of the day that if he gets something he likes, that there's something there that's substantial and special because he doesn't settle. And that also goes for when you're reading a script, and even though my scenes with Gary are very still sometimes and literally seated and and there's so much to play with in that one camera setup, um, I then almost weirdly feel comfortable because I know my surroundings i know the confines of the scene and the set and then i can just come alive in a in a way that feels quite safe and settled um and i love old movies and i love watching uh old hollywood actresses speak without speaking it's in their eyes it's in their reactions and you know you're taught early on in acting that it's just as much reactionary as it is actionary. And, and in a movie like this in black and white, where you're not as a viewer distracted by color, which I'd never even thought of before Mm. when you're looking at something and you're watching and going, Oh, that bright red, or, Oh, they're wearing that color or they chose to put that together. That's interesting. Or that art on the wall really pops. It's like when you're watching black and white, you're really forced to look at light texture and people like what the actual people's faces are doing. And so to be given the opportunity almost to digest far more than we normally are when we're looking at color, that's kind of these distractions, nothing to do with the person who's in the scene. Um, As an actor, you're like, wow, there's so much more for me to play with here. And God knows Gary is giving me so much to react to that, I was just so present and I found myself so present and not thinking as much on this set because it was all just so there. And I was able to just let go and, and be so in the moment. So um, I treasure those scripts that you read that aren't, that are pretty rare, you know, when, when you know that the stillness is also gonna speak such volumes. And you know that the camera is gonna be able to sit and not have fast cuts. Because I love that about old movies too, where an audience can make decisions for themselves and how they feel. They're not being told how to feel through an editor's cut, you know, and, and sound design really fast edits. And people's attention spans seemed to be longer back then. And so you, the lingering shots allowed you to breathe and emote and feel. Um, and David leaned into everything that an old movie would of that time. Mm.
0: Well, I interviewed Gary earlier, uh, and he had called your he called your performance a revelation, and that made no. me. No, he did. Oh my he did, and that made me really proud vicariously. I I loved hearing oh. that from him, okay. and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about working with him, mm. and what that was like for you? Like, what did you learn from that? And, and kind of how did it make you rethink how you work or did it like, what was the exchange Dang. between, between the two of you in in terms of actor to actor?
1: So I met Gary when I was about two years old on the set of Dracula. Um, I came on set with my family because our family friends had written Dracula and hook and we were shooting on the same lot. And my dad was in hook and I met him when I was two and that that's important in this story only because there's that distinct memory as a kid of having this connection with someone that then there's a familiarity and a respect there and kind of this nostalgia that Rita has never met Mankowitz but she has to feel this kind of connection this deep rooted connection with Mankowitz because you want to believe as a, as a viewer that she truly like respects and loves and admires this person in a, in a nostalgic, familiar, familiar, familial way. And that was already kind of in me with Gary. And I, and I met him actually a few years ago at uh, a valet at an event with his wife, Giselle. And I just went up to him and just said that I deeply admired his work and respected him greatly. And that was it. I just wanted to say that cut to I'm in a room with him rehearsing for Mank. And these little tidbits of, of history that we had allowed me to kind of draw a familiarity with Gary into Rita and Mank, but also just this deep admiration of him as a human being that Rita has for Mank. And throughout every experience with Gary, and when I stepped into that room for the first time after being cast as Rita, it's like his smile and his laugh light up a room. It, it's truly those those best moments of Wits that you see on screen of him filled with light and love and hope. That's Gary on a daily basis. So to see... Gary be able to bring those moments into Mank and make him human and uh, and make him endearing. And, And I'll speak for myself as Rita, but to make him endearing to her because, you know, she is hired by him for a job. And so she doesn't have to you know, have love for him. She doesn't have to have this connection with him. She could just literally do her job. But Rita represents this, you know, deep set moral compass of the movie as well. And she, she believes in the good in people and she really has love and respect for this man. And I, I couldn't agree more as Lily and Gary. I think that he, as an actor, he is so he's so present, he's so giving, he's so kind, he's very nurturing, and he's super playful. Which I never know what to expect with someone who has done this for so long, is insanely, incredibly talented and and revered for his work. Um, I wonder if. There's still fun to be had for them, if they're going to be playful, if they're going to come with something new and spontaneous. And Gary bought a playfulness to these scenes that I wasn't expecting. and it's fascinating. He So I play British in this, and I know I grew up with a British accent, but I do sound like this every day. And I and I don't stay in accent uh, throughout my experience i dip in and out you know i'll I'll do the scene in england british and then i'm back to me and you know in between takes and everything and gary is the same gary's has his accent on screen and then he's like back to you know spitting out british jokes and humor and we were laughing so much and it's like to be able to watch someone like gary who's just so incredible and so in it at the drop of a hat go straight back to telling a joke and being gary and then go straight back into it when they yell action it, it's, he doesn't miss a beat. And and um, there were many days when he was brought to work or came to work rather, um, but was never on screen because, you know, we have the gift of time with David. And sometimes a scene will take a week. Sometimes it takes a couple days because of the different camera angles and whatnot. And sometimes Gary wouldn't be on screen, but he would get dressed, he would look the part. He would be exactly as Mank would be and he'd be behind the camera giving 100% all the time. He like never had a day off. It's make, you know, and and he just never gave less than 100 and um, was just the kindest to the crew. And I feel like for myself to be able to watch someone who has been doing this for so long, have such a playfulness with the cast and crew, have a playfulness with the material and himself to enjoy himself, um to really give other actors the chance to shine. The movie's called Mank. I mean, he could so easily make it just all about Mank, and he doesn't. He makes every scene about every single person in that scene and allows you to try and feel um, like you have... You don't have the pressure on you, uh, I think is, is wonderful. And, yeah, he's just... God, I feel like I... My, uh, my, my level of expectation now for like a co-star has (laughs) shifted because I'm like, Gary just gives everything and he's so wonderful. And I feel like I've been so spoiled.
0: Mm. It was interesting. You said with Fincher, you get the gift of time. And and we all know part of his excellence is doing as many takes as you need to get it. And that attention to detail did you respond in a way that you didn't anticipate or like how did you react to that
1: yeah i i didn't know what to expect other than things you hear i have worked with other filmmakers who also like doing that um until it's right you know they don't settle and you're going to just do it as many times as we need to do it Sometimes there's so many things at play, whether it's a car moving or a bottle dropping and the lighting cue, you know, it's not always just to do with one actor. And so the more times you do it, more you realize, oh, there's actually an entire circus happening at one time that you have to wrangle in order to get the shot. Um, I'm a slight sucker for playing around with things anyway. So I love it. (laughs) And I know that that, some people won't believe me when I say that, but I genuinely, if you're going to be playing with the best of the best, I want to play as long as I'm allowed to. Honestly, that's the key. I'm like, I could be here or I could be done and at home. Well, I kind of want to learn as much as I can. I'm going to come to set even when I'm not working because God knows I'm going to learn just so much by watching. And if they're willing to take the time to play with me, I'm gonna soak that up. Like why not? I mean, so for, yeah, for me personally, it's like if David wants to try something else, I'm gonna try it. And the thing is also, you know, I would have ideas, Gary would have ideas, everyone else would have ideas and David would go, great, show me. And it's to be given the trust to also use the time that you're given to try something of your own, that's an amazing collaboration. Um and there were times, there's one scene in particular where I, you know, I've read the letter that my husband's presumed lost at sea. Gary makes a joke and I run out and I we don't know for how long that I've been out, but I've had to gather myself and think about what he said and kind of had a good cry. And I come back and I walk up to the doorway to um say that he was right, but also to kind of give him a bit of a berating. And we don't know at the time, but Gary has, you know, has drank some of the alcohol and he's passed out. But I come to the door and I just kind of start to have a monologue. And that for me, I think was the most amount that we did for one scene for me. But it's because we're like, well, I, I don't know how long she's been outside. So how much anger is she still bringing in? How much sadness is she bringing in? Do we think she wants to be a bit meaner here? Do we Like there's so many ways to go that we want to have the ability to kind of have all the edits. And also then he has to drop the bottle and then the lighting has to be perfect. So it, it really is a game mm. and it's a creative game that I love to be a part of. And if someone's willing to bet on me to play that game, I'm going to play it. And I'm going to keep playing it and I'm going to have fun with it. So I choose to look at it that way. And honestly, I feel that way about it. Um, And so if I ever were to get to work with David again, I'd be so excited to do that because when you're working with David, you're in it to win it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you're not, you're not going to not, you're not going to half-ass play a game. You're going to keep going. Mm -hmm.
0: I love that. I could be here or I could just be at home. It's so true. Uh, Well, Let's talk about Emily in Paris. I didn't realize you were going back and forth and shooting both at the same time. That's like, that's a lot of air travel, but, uh, and a lot of work. People have loved this show, uh, mm-hmm. binged it, watched all of it in one weekend. I mean, the memes, the all of it exploded on social media. <laughs> I know you're a maven on social media. I always follow you and see what where you are in the world. And I was like, oh, she's in Paris. What's, what's going on here? Uh, <laughs> but are you at all surprised by the reaction that you've had uh, with this? And you're Emily Cooper. You play this completely different than Rita Alexander. You're um, from the Midwest. You're naive, and you get to travel for the first time. You're in Paris, yeah. obviously. The rest is history. Uh, go watch the show if you haven't seen it. But <laughs> uh, were you surprised at all by the the juggernaut that it became?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, first of all, it it was it was so interesting, to say the least, to play this bright, bold, colorful slightly obvious girl um, from the Midwest in Europe to then going into a black and white world where stillness and centeredness and quiet um, with a British woman in America, uh, the two worlds could not be more polar opposite. And and so to fly back and forth um, to play these two characters and to get into the prep for, for Rita, it was... It was physically exhausting, but so creatively inspiring because they were so different that that I didn't ever, like, get the characters, you know, <laughs> mixed up. But, um, but uh, I mean, I'd, I'd be so devastated if I hadn't made it work. But, you know, we felt like it was something special when we were shooting it. I know that when I first read the pilot, which was the first two episodes combined, um, it was that classic feel of that rom-com from the early 90s that i just devour but don't really get made anymore and darren star paris patricia field it was this recipe for just just yumminess you know greatness um but but again that was also a a rigorous audition process that was by no means uh, an obvious um and i went in to meet with darren and then went in to do a camera test or a reading with him, I guess, um, and then went actually away to shoot something else. It seems to kind of be the the thing is I just kind of drop it and then leave. <laughs> and think this is never going to go anywhere. And then Darren called me on my 30th birthday and left me a voicemail saying, I can't wait for you to be Emily, And um, which is actually ironic because when I was 20, my first like job really in film or TV was – two episodes of the remake of 90210, which was an original Darren Star. So I was like, so that was 20 and that was 30. And I was like, ooh, what's 40 going to bring? Um, but, but, you know, it felt really special having these conversations with David and Patricia and then being in Paris. I mean, Paris alone in and then of itself is just magic. And that cast, all of us, we kept saying like, this is so eerie because we all just love each other and really get along. And there's no, there's no one that we don't like. And this is just kind of too perfect. Um, I really hope it translates <laughs> onto screen. And and we just felt like it was this magical little nugget. And, you know, and then having it come out when it did obviously was so unknown when we shot it, what would happen, you know, in the world. but I think that it was, Far enough along in quarantine that we'd become accustomed to being here and being at home, but our longing for escapism and travel and getting lost in a foreign adventure, all of those things were just becoming greater and greater. And I think when it came out, it just hit at a time when people wanted to remember what fun felt like a sense of escapism, adventure, color, brightness to just laugh and smile, you know, and honestly I, I see art as many people do as healing. And that's why I love doing what I do. And if I can do something where I, I play a character like Ellen into the bone and that can be a more obvious healing type of movie. And then you can do something like Emily in Paris where it just provides people with a laugh and a smile at a time when we need to heal the most through positivity that's just such a huge gift and and i never expected it to become memes and gifts and <laughs> halloween costumes like i emily was a halloween costume dogs and cats were emily for halloween i was like what is going on here um but again it's it's also very strange to experience it while at home because the occasional drive somewhere you see a billboard, you know, otherwise I'm also relying on like social media to see these things or phone calls and friends messaging me and stuff, which is why, which is more important to me than like a live studio audience at a talk show. Right. Like it's way more meaningful for me to be hearing how it's moving someone and making someone feel and remind, remind them of, of how to have fun right now. But I just think people are craving escapism and travel. I mean, at least my pin, my Pinterest feed as well as my Instagram feed are just like pictures of pretty places that I want to <laughs> travel one day. <laughs> like, let's go here when we can again, you know?
0: Well, you did get uh, what I what I did appreciate about it in one of the episodes. I can't remember which one it was, kind of more towards the end. You did get your Audrey Hepburn moment when you went to the ballet, <laughs> yeah. which I love because yeah. I always think of you as, as you've got yeah. that Audrey Hepburn face and you got that moment. The clothes are so ridiculous and fun and fabulous. And so fun. It's all of it. It's, I don't even
1: know how I wore those heels every day. I've got to tell you, I did a photo shoot, you know, like a quarantine photo shoot where I had to wear heels. At the beginning of all this again, when we were starting to do photos and I like, I don't know if I permanently like messed my foot up or pu- or pulled a muscle because I hadn't worn heels in so long. I now look at Emily and I'm like, how did I run around the streets on cobblestones in those crazy heels 24 seven. I'm like, season two, I really got to get back into shape. <laughs> My feet really have to get used to wearing heels again. I don't know how that's going to work. It's true.
0: It's like a physical, it is. It's like you have to get your feet back into shape. It's so good. <laughs> you really um, do. You, you mentioned uh, To the Bone, right? Which was also mm. a, a Netflix movie where you played um, a young woman suffering with anorexia. And I know this mm-hmm. is something that you've experienced personally. You wrote about it in your book, what I think is so interesting um, about you, Lily, you know, you can present as like light and sunshine, and you're, you know, we're the daughter of a famous person, and people can perceive that as a life of nothing but, you know, moonbeams and sunshine. But we all know the yeah. reality of, of of what that can bring. And certainly, personally, you've talked a lot about, you know, the, the, your insecurities and, and your relationship with your dad and everything. But what was so important for you to get that out? Because most people don't talk so openly about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've always been someone that has been transparent in a way that is, I think, remarkable, Really, as someone as, you know, I don't even know what how many million you have on Instagram and as someone that is considered an influencer and also, um, you know, in the fashion world and in, with Lancome and now a serious actor working with Fincher and, and Gary Oldman. you know, you're it's almost like you're opening up more as opposed to shutting down more as you get older.
1: Mm, that's so interesting. I actually yeah, I, I am opening up way more. Um, I think because I got really tired of feeling like I was trapping myself and it, I felt like, I felt like people were judging me on things that they, that they didn't even know, but I felt that they did know. So I thought, well, if I at least just put everything out there and own my own story and can start from scratch and feel free then I'll have less judgment on myself. And I, I feel like the, the second that I, that I spoke about my experience with eating disorders, and it was quite a miraculous experience in that I was writing my book at the time, you know, and I wrote my chapter where I finally discussed it. Um, and a week later got the script for to the bone. And I mean, no one had any idea that I was writing a book at that point. So it to me was like a sign from the universe saying, this is something that's bigger than you. And if you're at the point where you're ready to talk about it, this is like a bigger platform for you to get to share it. And when I went to Sundance and when I saw you and we spoke about To the Bone, that was the first day that I ever publicly talked about it because I thought, well, I can't talk about the film and not discuss how it's so important to me. And so it was this freeing experience. I didn't really tell anyone I was gonna do it, uh, talk about it, but it was just this like breath of fresh air and like letting go that then allowed me to start fresh without judgment and shame on myself. And it was so interesting because as an actor, every project you go to, you have to then take on a character. And I had too much baggage as Lily. And I had to let that baggage go in order to take on the baggage of any other character that I then played because it just became too muddied And I just felt trapped within myself. And the older I get, you know, we talked at the beginning about prioritizing and reflection and kind of what it is that's important to me. And there's so many things that I focused on as a young person that aren't really even in my like realm of thinking today as to being what's important. And everyone says, when you're a kid, like one day, that won't even be important or, you know, you need to get your priorities straight or prioritize, And it's like, it's all relative. And until, until I found my person, and we got a dog and real life stuff starts happening. You start working, but you're also prioritizing family. It's like things shift and then things that you were, selfish about in terms of yourself or things that I hyper-focused on about my physical uh, about my physical body or just things about myself that aren't important um, I think I found so much value outside of myself but I hadn't allowed myself to let go and until I experienced things um, without holding on like I, I, I was trapping myself and And I wasn't allowing myself to just live, and so the more I spoke about things, you know, I was a teen therapist in high school, and um the one thing I remember taking away from that was like if we all just spoke more openly about our experiences and our feelings and our emotions, we'd all realize that we as individuals weren't crazy because we were all going through the same thing um and we all feel the same things, and therefore we can heal together and then and then we don't need to judge each other for all these things, you know, and I think during quarantine, I've relied a lot on my friends and my therapist and vice versa of saying, okay, some days I get up and I cry and then I'm fine. And then some days are great. And then I end the night crying. And why is that? And is it okay to have a mood swing during quarantine. It's like, of course it's okay. We're all universally going through 10 emotions in a day, 30 emotions in a day. And if we all just unloaded all of that and started fresh every once in a while, I think it would be a breath of fresh air. And so I just, we just need to connect more as humans. Um, and that's my way of doing it. And some things I'll keep for myself, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm also a private person, but I have found that the more I let go and be open, the more life and light has come into my life, um, and the right people and experiences have. So I don't know, it's a weird, it's life's a weird process, you know, and, uh, I'm still learning as I go. Um, Are you thinking about writing another book? Oh, definitely. I have like, I have, I don't know, 40 pages or so of just ideas and notes and quotes and things to remember and experiences and dates. And I started drafting that pretty much after the first one got published because I thought, okay, well, that's what I learned up until then. Now I'm going to write about what I learned up until now. And then I'm just going to keep going. Um, So I would love to. Uh, I would I would definitely will be writing again. I think I'd probably go about it slightly different than last time, which was last time I got a book deal and then had to write it. And then I booked jobs. And I was like, Oh, my God, now I have deadlines and I have to write this time. I think I'd want to have most of it figured out before I then had deadlines. But yeah, I just I keep learning so much. And I'm also you know, it's interesting. The more I've opened up about myself and about just the more I've opened up about myself, but also to myself, I've sought out podcasts or books that have inspired me. And then subsequently I've reached out to those authors or people that are on the podcast. And now I've got this incredible like source of mentors that are helping me learn even more and stretch my brain in ways that I didn't even know needed stretching or could be stretched. And so I'm writing down all these things that I'm learning from them. And it's amazing because the more you explore sides of yourself and seek out information and educators, and come, <laughs> if you know what to look for, you know, you can find incredible sources. Um, Lily, so I, yeah.
0: Um, you're a journalist at heart. I mean, I know this acting thing has kind of like gotten in the way a little bit of your initial (laughs) career ambitions.
1: I do. I love, look, I've always said that as a journalist, you just have to be an inquisitive human being who wants to learn more about the world and about themselves. And I'll never stop being that ever. And I get to do that every time I play a character. And then I get to do it through writing or, just meeting people, you know so yeah, that side's never gonna go away. I'm always <laughs> gonna be that 15 year old that walked into your
0: office. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. All right well I always um, I, I always end my interviews asking um, this everyone the same question and that's about let me make sure I get this right because I love to I love the way I word it and then okay, so you've spent half your year uh, half your life, in this industry and working i mean remar- you know working hustling putting stuff forward putting stuff out there what kind of advice and or counsel do you have that maybe you would have wanted to be given when you were that age that you can now impart into younger people or even even someone your own age that is trying to find success in the creative spaces in this community?
1: I would say um, you'll probably get told no a lot of times. We all get told no. I still get told no. Um, But don't take no as no, this isn't for you. Take it as no, not right now. Because if I had taken all the no's that I accumulated from the beginning of auditioning or going in and pitching talk show ideas or columns I wanted to write, if I had taken all of those no's, they wouldn't have amounted to a yes. I mean, I I literally could have just stopped doing what I had done, but I believed so strongly in what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say um, that I thought, well, one day it's going to make that yes so much sweeter. And if you were to put it into the context of like a sentence, just think of it as a comma, not a period, because the other, the other half of that's going to come one day, you know, and, and it did, it made that one time I got told yes, so much better because it's like the one thing I wasn't allowed to have. I finally was giving, being given the opportunity. Um, And we all face no's every single day, but it it can't mean the end for you, you know? Um, So I would just say to, to see no as a comma, not a, not a period to create your own story. And for you, what do you see as that
0: moment? What do you
1: see as your first big guess in your career? Um, when I got cast, uh, as Collins Tui in the blind side, I mean, I, that first time when someone was like, yeah, I'm going to, we're going to, you're going to be in that movie. I was like, I know I had just done these two episodes of 90210, but I had tested for so many things. And I, I thought, well, no, I only went in for one audition. Like, that's not how it normally works. Usually I get strung along for so long and then it's like you got it and then you didn't get it, you know. And, and so that first opportunity I got to actually live and breathe on a set to be playing Sandra Bullock's daughter. I mean, that was my first experience to have someone like Sandra Bullock Play your mom, to nurture you through that experience. I was in college at the same time. I flew back and forth for finals. And to have that opportunity to finally see what it was like and to learn from someone like that um, was the best first experience. And it was the first time someone was saying, like, yeah, no, you got this. Like, this one's yours. Um, and I remembered how that felt. And Every every single time, by the way, I, that I end up getting a part or something, I still feel like there's a little bit of it that, that is a joke. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. No, I'm not going to be doing that. There's no way. Who else did that? Who turned it down? <laughs> like, there's no way. Um, but you know what? I, don't, I, I learned to question it less and just embrace it more and run with it because everything happens. I think everything happens for a reason. And all those parts that I wanted that I didn't get – the right person got it because it was their journey. It wasn't my journey. And I was able to do all these other things because I didn't do that one thing. Or I was able to do this one thing and meet all these people and have this experience that led me to the next. So I don't dwell on any of that anymore. I just kind of move forward and say, like, yeah, this is this is the story that I'm telling.
0: Well, I look forward to your extended story and to season two of Emily in Paris, Excited to see what's going to happen to to Miss Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) Me Uh,
1: too. (laughs) I have no idea.
0: (laughs) I expect we'll see more hats, more braids, and hats, and and keychains, and and you know, lots of primary colors and all of that stuff. Yes, so fun. Um, Thank you so much, Lily.
1: Thank you, Krista. It's always so nice to see you. I hope one day soon I get to see you in person. Please.
0: Thanks so much for joining me. Mank is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.